the poverty line is $44,000 for a family of four and I make $100,000. We're going to talk about a spiritual condition that is called poverty that the Bible talks about a lot. A little hint for you, you can be dealing with poverty, poverty mindset, poverty type behaviors and make a million dollars a year. That's totally possible. So oh, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with your income or even your wealth. If you let this poverty thing go on, I promise you, you will hand it to your kids and they will hand it to their kids. And generally the result is, is being poor financially and otherwise. Hi, I'm Steve. For nearly 30 years, I've been a pastor and disciple maker. And what I really love doing is helping guys be better followers of Christ and better leaders at home. I'm Mark a certified financial planner with an MBA and an Ivy League degree who wants to make sure you're making the smartest money decisions possible. And this is Abraham's Wallet. Join us weekly and create a culture in your family of multi-generational prosperity, spiritually, relationally, physically, intellectually, and financially. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. the government put out a financial report of some kind in here in the last week? The headlines that I've seen being in the investing world would be A, the stock market has hit an all-time high several days in the past week. There's been a few things driving it. Consumers are very optimistic about the economy, which is good. When there's lots of spending, it tends to get the economy going. But then we worry about the thing that, you know, the government caused when they handed everybody a bunch of money, which is inflation. And that that data came out today. And it is below 3% for the first time in a long time. So people are going, oh, we have a combination of growth of the economy and low inflation. That's the perfect sauce for uh, not getting into hot water. Now, whether it will stay true or not, I don't know. I think or whether that it, it is true even now. Yeah, it I mean, some people think that it's uh, it's it's falsehoods that's just being used so that we won't uh, think about what's happening down in Texas, which I want to, I just want to talk about those Texans that have said, come and take our razor wire. I'll just throw out that uh, all time high in the market. It's a nice thing. I know that my numbers for my 401ks are all up, up, up. We have uh, put on record before the amount of confidence we have in the government telling us what the inflation numbers are. But yes, I wanted to ask about Texas as well. You you texted me something along the lines of, can we be called in as reservists? I said that I was kind of joking around driving my girls around. And I said that my my sweet little seven-year-olds just started crying. Oh, <laughs> no. Like, oh, honey, dad's being silly. It's, oh, we're, not, no. we're not going to war, but she just, it was actually really a sweet thing. Well, I bet I have the same reaction that a lot of people have, which is not only do I support Texas's right to establish a border, and I have said before, we have family in El Paso. They get the brunt of these warrior tribes of nomads. And a lot of these people have dark designs that enter our country. And uh, they say it's horrible. And they are so pleased that finally somebody would say, not anybody can just wander in here. And my major question is, why did it take three years for the governor of Texas to, to grow a pair 
and go, yeah, we're not going to have this. I agree with you. And I'm also glad that he at least has an argument for why we aren't just flouting the law and telling the Supreme Court, we don't care what you say. He didn't do that. He actually well, that's said- that's not flouting the law. The Constitution says that you can protect yourself. It's not flouting the law. What I mean is he could have said, well, Supreme Court, you say whatever you want. We're doing this. And he didn't. What he said is we're using a different provision. It's a little bit of semantics, but what I'm saying is I appreciate that there are people out there who are just like, let's go to civil war. And I think they don't have a clue how terrible and oh, catastrophic that would be. So I appreciate the line that the governor in Texas is walking to try to kind of say, listen, this is what the Constitution says. We're going to follow the law. This is the law. And it gives us the permission to do this. We don't think that the Biden administration has been saying is actually correct, but they they have not just flown the middle finger at, at the Supreme Court, uh, which, you know, like I said, we don't really want to go to war with each no. other. So, Can you uh, explain to me what changed in January of 2024, however, that made made them come up with this idea three years later? No, I'm not down in Eagle Pass. I don't know what's happening, but it seems okay. like it has gotten worse in the past year. And I know if you believe the the news, there's been like millions more people coming through in the past short while than, than was coming through a few years ago. All right. What are you hitting us with today? I keep bumping into this poverty thing. Before you turn off the radio and say, I'm not in poverty I checked. The poverty line is $44,000 for a family of four, and I make $100,000. We're not going to talk about you know what it's like to be below the federal poverty line. We're going to talk about a spiritual condition that is called poverty that the Bible talks about a lot. I'm going to give you, by the end of this episode, some little checks to find out, might I have some of this operating in me? And a little hint for you. You can be dealing with poverty, poverty mindset, poverty type behaviors, and make a million dollars a year. That's totally possible. So oh, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with your income or even your wealth. Although a lot of people who <laughs> we talk about multi-generational impact of the way you handle money, if you let this poverty thing go on, I promise you, you will hand it to your kids. And they will hand it to their kids until somebody snaps the chain. And generally, the result is is being poor financially and otherwise. I wanted to talk about it both from a, what does the Bible have to say about poverty? And recommendations if you notice some of these things in yourself. Like, how can you behave that will help you stop acting this way? Because I see it daily. And like I said, it spans from people who have very little money to people who have a whole lot. And I just, we haven't talked about it enough. I would just throw in one, one thing that this is probably in every single person to some degree. So us talking about it will be helpful for just cleansing the wounds. And number two, I would like, even if you're like the healthiest person around, you have a great attitude towards money and you're just free and trusting and hardworking and you're, fastidious and all the wonderful things that you can be about money, you and your family live in a culture which is constantly on the attack. And your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. And there are messages out in the culture 
And they're not, they're not messages that would lead you into healthy living and righteous, you know, plenty. They're things that want to come get you. So I think that the, the more educated and aware we can be about the traps out there that smell like the stuff that uh, we're going to be covering today would be very helpful for anybody who's trying to lead other people. First thing I want to clarify is that poverty is not the same thing as having a little bit of money or very little money. That's called being poor. And it's it's not in, being poor is not inherently a sin problem, okay? And it's it's a temporary state. So the Bible has tons to say about the poor. We're told that the poor are always going to be with us. Jesus said, "Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God." There's all these admonitions about the poor. There's instructions for how we relate to and deal with the poor among us. And I think that especially if you find yourself in a church that maybe is a maybe is a little bit they they get enticed by the social justice message. A lot of times the the scriptures that talk about the poor are conflated with the idea that poverty is somehow an elevated Christian state. And Stephen, you've talked about this a bunch, so maybe you have something to say here. But I know that we both grew up in a world where we kind of thought the super Christians are the ones who are willing to live in poverty. I do believe there are people whose calling takes them into a spot where they're not going to have a lot of money. But poverty is not that and it's it's a misuse of scripture to take the verses that talk that just say the word poor and go well see poverty is good god likes it that's a great point uh you you said something that i'll uh, i would like to clarify uh, slash take issue with you said that uh having very little money being poor is not inherently a sin issue and i think what you mean is it doesn't mean that you're in sin if you don't have any money that you need to repent of something but we have written, and I would strongly say, if you are a family leader, uh, if you're 30 years old, you got two little kids, and you are struggling to meet the rent every month, and you can't see how you're ever going to get out of this situation, there has been sin somewhere. Yeah, that's what I would say. Either in your family line, in the in the cultural circumstance you're in right now somewhere because this is not God's plan. God's plan is that you would work, you would get the benefits of your labor, and all you, your family, and your generations would be able to enjoy the benefits of that work. So having very little money is a problem. So I'd just like to say that, uh, restate what, what the, the softball that you threw me, which is having very little money is not noble. It's not cute. It's not something, it's not heartwarming. Our, our hearts should be warmed with compassion when we come across people who have little, and we should share with those who have little. The Bible has all sorts of commands like that. But we shouldn't have any, any kind of hallmark kind of uh, sentimental reaction to people who have little money. We should, our hackles should be raised, and we should think, there's a problem here. It shouldn't be this way, and it's a result of evil. So t- for a believer to have some sort of strange aspiration towards having nothing. And I'll uh, throw out my favorite uh, punching bag on this topic is a dude named Shane Claiborne, who's constantly telling believers that's what they should be doing is nonsense. It's biblical nonsense. 
Yeah, you, you gave an illustration once when we were talking about this, about imagine if you were an, a son of an actual bazillionaire king and you said, I'm going to go to Europe and just backpack around and I'm going to have no money. I'm just going to, I want to experience it like a typical you know, European traveler. Uh, and I'm going to take the train and I'm going to sleep in hostels and you don't have a hundred bucks in your pocket. It's just out on my own. You would not, still, you would operate still as a son of a king who goes, well, I have all the resources behind me. I could even make a business deal while I'm out here. And I know how to gin up wealth as needed, even though right now I don't have any money. That to me is the mentality of somebody who you bump into serious illness or premature death of somebody in the family and it totally goes, we have we had to declare bankruptcy. We have zero dollars to our name left. That could happen. We live in a fallen world. That type of thing could happen and it could be no no fault of your own. And yet, <laughs> if we look two generations down the line and because of that start, your kids are like, we still just spend our paychecks plus a little bit every time we you know, get to the first and 15th of the month. Then we have taken a, a temporary condition of having a little money and it has become a poverty issue in our family. So I am going to conjecture I... as I read verses in the scripture about poverty specifically, it's a result always of something. And the Proverbs are just a, a bountiful cornucopia of instructions when it comes to how we deal with money and wealth and things like that. Yep. There's not anywhere that's as specific at kind of pointing us towards just wisdom and truth on wealth stuff as frequently as we see in Proverbs. So I'm going to talk about some things that always lead to poverty or that often are the root causes of poverty. And Steve, you said everybody listening is going to have some of this. Everybody listening might have all of these things at sure. some level. So the first one is laziness or sloth. I I sometimes <laughs> am lazy. I, I want to sleep past the alarm, etc. But Proverbs 20.13 says, do not love sleep or you will become poor. Mm. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with food. You know, that's a verse that says the word poor, it doesn't say poverty, but it's clear that you became poor because you were unwilling to get out of bed. So sloth, laziness. Proverbs 19.24, I liked this verse. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but will not even bring it back to his mouth. I was hanging out with my little nephew. He's three and he wanted some treats that were in a little jar and he's like the raccoon that gets trapped in the trap because he won't let go of it he can't get a handful of of candies out of the jar because he won't let go of how many he had that's kind of what i think of it's it's kind of a combination of greed and just laziness but we don't want to be the sluggard we don't want to be somebody who lays around in bed laziness and sloth I know you're building a case here and I'm very interested. I just, whenever I hear truths like that and I feel the little bit of press, you know, I feel God's thumb kind of press into my chest a little bit. I just always want to react. So I'm just going to do that. If you'd like to agree with me in your heart, I think this would be a smart move and then I'll let you move on. But God, if there's anything in me that loves sleep, I mean, you can go buy shirts that say this at Target, I'm sure. Like, I love sleep. 
if there's anything in me that that has some kind of weird romantic relationship with sleep and I am I want to escape life by sleeping, would you please cut that out of me? Let me be the kind of person who goes, rest is good and necessary. And the reason I want to be rested is so that I can do something. So I can, so I can be there for people and I can have something productive out of my life. Even that verse about you don't even have the desire, the gumption to lift your hand out of the dish. You've got a delicious gumbo in front of you right there. Look at what's in the gumbo. Bring it to your mouth. Enjoy it. Come on, let's live. Let's be excited. Let's have some passion. So Lord, make me the kind of man who's like, who's got some verve in his life. Give me, give me some, give me some zest. Amen. And if you've never had hand gumbo, it's just a big gumbo out of the hand. I think you're missing out. So, and sometimes depending on which part of the country you're in, they will take uh, hands like a monkey's hand and cut it up and put it in the gumbo. It's delicious. Poverty root cause number two. Pretending to be something you are not. You know, we've all heard keeping up with the Joneses, but the proverb speaks to this. It says, Proverbs 13, 7, there's one who pretends to be rich, but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, but has great wealth. You didn't know Instagram was in the Bible, did you? There it is. Uh, Proverbs 19, 10 says, luxury is not fitting for a fool, uh, Mm. which I think is interesting. And we'll talk about this one later, but I just want to tell everybody, we're going to get to the specifics after we get through these. It's so easy right now to pretend to be wealthy. I've talked about it on this show, going shopping for a car. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I mean, you've got way more income than you need to get this loan. And the payment is here. It's $1,700 a month for a car payment. And I go, I'm not a moron. Like I would need to make $4 $4 million a year to want to do that. But it's become normal. And so I don't think everybody who's in this pretending to be something they're not bucket is thinking actively, I want to appear hyper wealthy. They're just thinking, well, this is the normal stuff, I guess. I guess this is just how much it costs. You know, I'm going to live in this part of town and that's just how much it costs. So I guess we'll go into to more debt than we can afford, etc. Number Man, three. What a, what a danger. Number three is failing to make a plan. If you've listened to this podcast long, you know we're big advocates of planning, especially around money. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. If you have just sort of assumed that, hey, I, I mean, some financial planner came to my work, they set up a 401k, they told me I should put in 3% and to get the match. Well, they didn't give you bad advice there, but I assume that I'm fine because I've just never, I've never sat down and actually cranked the numbers. You know, I've got three kids and it's really important to me to send them to college. So I'm putting away 50 bucks a month for college. I assume that I'll have enough. You know, my admonition is if you haven't actually done any planning and looked down the pipe of the future and said, what is things actually going to cost? Am I going to have enough money to pay my groceries? What would it look like to live on the anticipated social security benefit that the government tells me I'm going to get? Because if I haven't done any savings, that's that's what I'm going to be living on. Right. Am I taking out a mortgage at age 60 that's a 30-year mortgage? Well, Ooh. what does that do? So many components to this. But if you've just never even made a plan, you have no chance 
of leading surely to abundance. My wife asked me a couple weeks ago because our income has changed a lot recently. We've been kind of changing over time to to be having her work a whole lot less. And she kind of looked at me like, you're telling me we can't afford these two fancy chairs that I want for the entryway. And I look at our bank account and I see a whole lot of money there. And I'm like, yeah, but we have a plan. And our plan is this is how much we're going to spend on home decor. Mm. And if I was in charge, that number would probably be $25. And if (laughs) you were in charge, it might be more. But we came together and we kind of made that plan. And we're not going to deviate from it just because we look at the bank account and go, there's a lot there's, of money. There's there. enough money there to buy these chairs. We could buy extras. Like there's plenty uh, because we've made a plan. And that brings me to point number four, <laughs> which is failing to stick to a plan. So you can make a plan. You can do it yourself. You can hire a financial planner and have the most airtight plan. This gets us to the finish line. And then eh, I'm not, I'm going to bend. Like there's an opportunity to go on this cruise and all our friends are going. We didn't budget for it, but you know, there's a 0% credit card that we can put it on and, or we can just take, we, we've been saving for a car, but our car seems like it's in good shape. We'll take that 10 grand that we've been saving for a car and we'll, we'll do the cruise and our car will last another year. That's no problem. Mm-hmm. Or one I've seen a lot lately. We've had this emergency fund just sitting there for so long. And I mean, everything seems like it's going great. So let's just let's use the emergency fund, do the vacation, and we'll just we'll just replenish it over oh. time. And sadly, I have seen this lead to poorness oh. really, really quickly where you go, okay, I lost my job right after I spent the emergency fund. And now I have three days worth of expenses. Oh. What the heck do I do? I guess I'm taking money out of my 401k and paying penalties. Ugh. So failing to stick to a plan, Ecclesiastes 7.8, this is our first non-proverb, says, better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. That says the beginning of a thing, you can have this fantastic, yeah. well-dialed plan. It doesn't matter at all for your money, for your multi-generational family team on mission. Right, That's all right. a bunch of crap if you... <laughs> If you don't stick to the plan, and and I'm not saying never, ever modify the plan. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying don't let your impulses and your appetites drive you to deviate from the plan because in the moment something is hard or there's a pleasurable opportunity in front of you and you want to say, well, let's just do it because it's there. There is an impulsiveness that we must all watch out for. And the impulsiveness is what would kill your plan for Lodofeb. I'm sure of that. And I also hear loud and clear, if you don't have a plan, you are dancing with the spirit of poverty, period. You might be, well, I'm making it up as I go along and it's worked out okay. Okay, keep going. What I believe is that God's word is true and that he always is, his truth always comes out in the end. So if you don't have a plan, you're dancing with poverty. These are very, very convicting ideas here. I think we would all say, oh, yeah, I can smell that thing. I can smell it crouching in the distance and it wants me. Yeah, yeah we, I think we can all feel that. I just got one more and then we'll get into how to, how to detect these things in your own life. But Great. the last one is fleeing from pain or difficulty. Ooh. So there's so many scriptures that I can cite here to tell us that, that, that tell us specifically that we should expect 
to be tested in the fires and that we must endure as Christ followers. Mm. Um, if we believe that money is like the JV level training ground for things that really matter, then it stands to and reason. We do. Yeah, that's right. It stands to reason that God will be testing our endurance when it comes to money and business plans and education and all that, not just, you know, quote, spiritual things. So like, well, expect your t- your faith to be tested. That would be normal because we know that the scripture tells us that. But don't don't think that God's going to send you a, a challenge to deal with when it comes to money to see if you can learn endurance there. Great well, point. Foolishness, right? So What a great point. It's it's the skill of delayed gratification. That's that's part of, and this one bleeds into a lot of the others, but that's part of sticking to a plan saying I'm not going to take the the delicious thing now because I have a a plan. And by the way, these are almost all true on all five capitals. We could talk about physical yep. physical health here. Yep. And it would be the same. Like you yep. can screw your physical health by being lazy. You can ruin it yep. by not having a plan. You <laughs> avoiding pain. You can pretend to be something you're not. In our world, you can say, well, I'm a dude. And if you're not a dude, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, True. but anyways, I think that this can be, this can take a lot of forms from, from just being unwilling to delay gratification to actually medicating yourself with money. And one of the hallmarks of poverty that we were talking about before we turned on the recorder is you see this, my, my first job in Dallas, I worked at Presbyterian Hospital close to downtown, which claimed to fame lately. That is where the first case of COVID was treated in the oh, United how States. Exciting. I remember back when we didn't know if it was like the end of the world or whatever. They're like, there's somebody in that hospital with COVID. And you were a candy striper. Is that right? You had, you were selling cigarettes, like going from room to room or what was the thing you, you were selling candies or what was it? Uh, the worst days I was cleaning up blood and feces from the floor <laughs> of operating rooms. <laughs> the coolest things I got to do like... Uh was actually participate in the surgeries. So I got to hold somebody's beating heart while the guy sewed on one side of it, stuff like that. But I was involved in making the operating room run, which involved both cleaning and helping when there was surgery happening. But it was the first time I had been around people who had like many generations of poverty. This was not a high paying job and it was not particularly a high skill job. They can teach you to mop blood and like, five minutes. So th- there was a lot of people who this was their best option and payday would come. And I, for as much as my parents taught me about money and they did, I can't believe they didn't grab a hold of me before I got my first paycheck. Cause I just walked with the crew. They're like, Oh, it's payday. Here's your check. That's the bank right there where they write the checks from. So they'll cash them for you there. And so we all walked over to the bank and I'm I don't know. My check was probably like $275. Sure. And they gave me cash for it because that was the bank the check was written against. Yikes. And so I had cash and all these people, they were planning to throw a party that night and we're going to go buy Crown Royal and just drink half this paycheck. And that's because there's this mentality that says, I might not ever have money again. And I have it now. So I'm going to enjoy it. And I see that, Steve, with people who make $200,000 a year, but but maybe they are 45 years old and they haven't started saving for retirement and they look at this 
monstrous task of you're telling me I need to save like almost a million dollars to be able to pay my grocery bill when I'm retired. That sounds impossible, but I do have a thousand dollars in my pocket today. I'm going to go buy a new toy. I'm going to go spend it on a gun or a golf club or whatever. Like that mentality is exactly the same as the person who only has $50 in their pocket. And instead of you know, paying paying the debt or the rent or whatever, they're going to go spend it on, you know, alcohol for the whole neighborhood. I have referenced this resource before. If you are from a family where there has been a, a poverty mindset, and, and that's such a good earmark, what you're describing is a little bit of money comes in and it, and suddenly there's, we're, we're doing something flashy with it. We're, well, we're taking a trip. We're, we're buying the, the thing. We're going to have a party, you know, we got to spend this money because because uh, tomorrow we have no confidence in tomorrow. That's such an earmark for poverty. I grew up not understanding because I didn't I didn't grow up in the financial um, fragility that my father did. So I would see the way my father would handle money, and I didn't understand it. Well, when I was out of college, I came across this book because I was in a like a, a Big Brother kind of a program. They recommended a book called A Framework for Understanding Poverty. It's by Ruby Payne. She's a University of Houston social researcher. And I read this book and it described things like what you're saying. And I thought, oh, I understand where my father's coming from because that was his entire framework growing up is we don't have anything. We're probably not going to have anything. So that was his approach to money. But it wasn't mine because I didn't grow up in that same wasteland he, because of his life. I grew up in a, in a place of, of confidence with regard to money, but there's something in all of us that thinks when I get a little bundle of money in my hand, oh boy, what am I going to do now? Instead of, as you say, I have a plan. This is what I'm doing with money that comes into my hand. So yeah, that's a, that is a, such a common earmark of, of the poverty spirit. If you come from that world, there's a book by a guy named Michael Easter called Scarcity Brain. He's not a believer, but he does a good job of kind of documenting what this does to mm. the your decision-making kind of framework in all sorts of areas of life. Uh, my wife gave it to the woman who does her hair, and she came back and said, that was so hard for me to read wow. because he, he read my mail. Like wow. everything he said, that's how I do things and all the consequences he listed are the ones I experience on a monthly basis. It's a good resource. Let's get to what should you do about it. Okay. (laughs) This one, I'm going to go through all those things and just kind of give you some examples of what it looks like in practice. And then we can talk about the cure. But number one, am I lazy? So am I is sloth and laziness something that's that's causing some poverty to to happen in my life? And I think this can take different forms. So it's important, like we said, to not say, well, I have enough money, I'm providing for my family. And so I am not lazy. I know guys who sit at a desk, and they probably have four hours a week of actual work to do, and they get paid $150,000 to basically do nothing all day. I was I was a government contractor for a while, and I saw a lot of this in like the government jobs of the world, but that's not a knock if you do a government job and you work <laughs> to pay off. But this guy gets slowly numb and kind of loses the ability to grow 
and actually over time becomes unattractive to other employers. Mm. He becomes unattractive to his wife. He becomes unattractive to his children. Like my dad is just kind of, I think of like that movie Office Space. He's just like, well, I'm getting paid. So that's laziness, even though it's not resulting yet in... I don't have enough money. You need some challenge and growth. That doesn't mean if you're hearing this and you go, well, I've got a good job and it's got health benefits and all that. I I guess they're telling me to go quit. You don't have to quit your job. You could say, I'm going to just apply myself and I'm not going to be satisfied with four hours a week of work. Or it could be that the Lord is saying like, this is your opportunity to launch a four-year plan We'll get to there later for something different that might be a blessing. And the space you have mentally, it's it's something that I gave you for a purpose. You know, there's a guy who whose wife makes a ton of money, so he doesn't ever go out and work. And he slowly turns into her housewife. That's one that I, I just see. And yep. same effect. He dies slowly. Yes. And she doesn't find him attractive anymore uh, yes. after time. Okay. Do you know any stay-at-home dads, Stephen? That are doing well? No, I don't. I think I've known one or two in the last twenty years, and they're they're all they all are struggle with depression. They need therapy. They there's something in them that is curdling, and so even the kind of like the the normal thing is, man, I need guy time. I need guy time so bad because uh, I'm I'm with kids all day and cooped up and. And what you find is they don't just need guy time because like, okay, let's all watch a movie every Friday night. Doesn't check the box for them. It's what if we go chop some wood? I need something that's productive in my life that I can see that I can feel like I exerted myself and it did this. We need that in God's economy, that effort that's required from a man to like do a project, to, to use your skills to produce something. It should produce something of value that your whole family benefits from. That's how we were made. We were designed to do that. And so we fight the design, the, the very design of God. We fight that design. If you are, but there's all sorts of ways that this can happen. One is if you're a kept man because your wife makes so much money and so you don't work. Another would be you're a trust fund kid and so you think, you, and it wasn't built into you to work. You just live off the fat. That is not good for any man to do that. We got to do this. I work and my family benefits from, from my labors. It, it, is, it, is, it curdles us. It totally rots a man's soul to not do that. And I've seen it, Stephen, with guys who sold their company for $50 million. Mm. And then they were like, well, I just want to, to be home with my kids, and I'm going to homeschool yep. a little and stuff. And we'd go, well, those sound like good things. I'm not saying you can't. like You've checked the provision box there, but right. you will end up... <laughs> embracing some of this poverty stuff, even if you've got $50 million in the bank, if you say, I'm not going to do productive work. So I believe that. Something to consider. Anyways, the last example of lazy here, let's consider the construction worker who busts his butt all day and is so tired at the end of the day that he doesn't have energy for anything besides cracking a miller and trying to just gird his loins for the next day of work. You know, he can always point to, well, I am doing hard manual labor all day. What are you talking about? Lazy. Yeah, how could I be lazy? And I would say he's never going to break out of this paycheck to paycheck cycle because he's kind of become complacent to stay in his current, you know, 
poor situation, even though he's not lazy physically, he's, he's working hard. There's lots of ways to go you know, I might even put the word complacence in here mm. to say you need to be working and you need to be growing uh, as a guy. And if you don't do both of those things at some level, uh, you're inviting poverty. That's great. Before we move on, I think the cure for all of these things that we talk about is pretty similar. And step one is you can just repent. So if you... Yeah. When you said that, I, I heard you talk about one of those laziness examples, and I thought, yeah, I do that. You can just stop. You can turn the other direction and agree with the Lord and say, I yeah. have just been sleeping till 7.15 every morning, and yeah. I wake up just in time to say bye to the kids before they leave the house and not starting my day with kind of energy. Or it could be something huge, like I have sent my wife out to be the sole provider for our family. Whatever it is, you just repent and say, I am I am turning around from that and I am agreeing with you, God, that this is sin. Step one is repentance. Step two, I would say, is implement some discipline. This is going to be different for everybody. It could be I'm going to start looking for a job that, that offers some challenge, but create a plan for kind of how you're going to change the situation. I, I'm, I'm going to say... <laughs> Wake up at the same time every day. That's a good start. If you're like, I think I'm lazy, but I don't really understand how. It's kind of the Jordan Peterson. We'll just start by making your bed if you don't mm-hmm. know how to have any discipline in your life. And we'll we'll get to the next things. Like set your alarm for earlier than you think you sh- sort of would like to wake up and just start waking up. It's not the the solution to all sin problems but it's a good just <laughs> i'm going to start having some discipline read your bible every day and certain there's people listening to this who are like yeah i'm all about the discipline and they haven't cracked their bible in a week yeah um, exercise every day those are good starts if you could say i'm going to if your normal body time is 7 a.m. wake up if you could say i'm going to wake up at 6 read my bible for 15 minutes and run three miles, man, you're on your way to changing some habits when it comes to laziness, if that's something that sticks out for you. Totally agree. Next one. Am I, am I trying to keep up with the Joneses? I already kind of talked about this, but do you make $150,000 a year, which is great money? Yes. But you have a $1,200 car payment or a $5,000 a month mortgage? That's not good. And that's usually a result of living in a way that goes, like I said, well, this is just what it costs. I want to be weird in this regard where I go to whatever it is when I'm trying to buy something and the salesperson goes, well, yeah, we could, you could qualify for four times that. And I go, but I would be an idiot. And I don't care that all these other people you have sold cars to this month are idiots. Like that doesn't phase me at all because I'm not looking at, at them to figure out what is, is wise when it comes to money. Yeah. Um, My favorite showstopper in that kind of a conversation with a salesperson is to simply say, yeah, I don't think I can afford that. That blows their minds. They don't know what to do with that. Uh, okay. Maybe we could go over to this thing right here because they're not used to anybody saying that. You know, we look at folks budgets all the time together with them and over and over, I hear things like, 
we're running about a $700 monthly deficit, meaning we're spending about 700 bucks more than we make. But these things, as we go through the budget, they're all just so important to us. Like these are key values for our family. Things like the food that we eat, the place that we live. I know it's super high cost, but we're going to live near family. Whatever, good things. And... I go, no, this is not an option. Like if you can't afford to live in that super pricey city that you live in, move to Arkansas because you're setting yourself up for not just like, maybe we can come up with a plan where you can scratch by, but your kids are screwed just like you are. And they're going to be going, mom and dad, I either now have to choose to move away from you so that I can afford a house if I have a normal job or... I have to just do what you did and barely scratch by uh, for my whole life. And that is a cycle of poverty. So you could say, we need to either increase income or we're going to change our situation. And that could have multi-generational effects for your family. You could go, we changed gears and now we are somewhere where we have enough to save for a down payment for each of our kids so they could have a house on day one. And we could even get to a point maybe where we could move back to the high cost place and put down payments on three homes. Like That might sound crazy to you if you're in a spot where you're just scratching by now, but this is all possible. And the, the point is, we don't say like, I'm sorry, but this is just our minimum minimum standard of living. And that's how yes. it is. we look at reality and, and operate yeah. from that. Another way of stating what you're, what you're saying is that people really by their actions would say, I deserve to have a lifestyle that's above what I earn. There's a lot of pride in that statement. And the, the facts are, if I earn this much, if our, if our income is X, well, then I have to have a lifestyle, which is X minus something. I've got to go down below that. And if you don't have the humility to live in that area or live in that apartment for a while while you're building up reserves, you have a character problem. You, you know, you have a sin problem that you can't live within your means. And by the way, when you say our, our living in Arkansas, you mean a beautiful scenic part of Arkansas with like a lake in the distance. You don't mean hot springs, do you? (laughs) Well, we've had some adventures in hot springs. I do think part of why this is so hard right now for people is because it's changed a lot in the last five years. Meaning you go, well, I don't want to live in that crap part of town. And, you know, house prices have doubled in a lot of places in five years. The person who made exactly what you make could afford to live in your neighborhood if they bought their house five years ago. Right. And you have to look at that and go, well, I make the same as them, but I can't afford to live here because things have changed. Same deal with a car. I used to could afford a stinking suburban. Right. And now it's $100,000. So right. I cannot afford a suburban, even though five years ago, somebody that made my income could afford a suburban. And, right. and fill in the blank. But that's part of why I have sympathy for people who are looking at this because it feels like they're going, you know, you told me to make good choices like driving a Toyota and living in a three bed, two bath home for my family. And those were all totally reasonable. Yeah. At your income in your city, not that long ago, but things yeah, have changed. That's fair. So that's part of why this is so hard right now. Yeah, that's fair. Do I have a plan? So I don't know. Do you do you have a plan? Um, <laughs> if you have, I, I already kind of talked about this. If you haven't ever thought about how am I going to provide for my needs in the long run, 
it's unlikely that you're going to have a life that looks anything like the one that you kind of dream of or hope for in the long run. And you're certainly not on track for multi-generational success. And I would say that's both financially and otherwise. If you've never taken the time to plan way down the line into the future, like how are we going to be doing X, Y, and Z and funding it, and you're just sort of hoping that those things will work out, they won't. Uh, And I talk to people all the time who come to me as a financial planner, and they haven't done anything hardly until they turn 60. And they go, oh no, I'm going to have to retire in five years. And we can definitely help with some of the tactics and strategies there. But part of that conversation becomes the things that you thought were normal are not going to be happening for you. Plans don't just, it doesn't just mean I didn't put a bunch of debt on a credit card. Uh, It needs to actually be a plan. So my financial plan that I keep for my family is why I say no to expenses that aren't even in the budget, even when I've got a pile of money that could, could fund them. And we kind of talked about that with the chairs, but one indicator that you might not be operating on a plan is when a when a spending or purchasing opportunity comes up, do you look at your bank account and go, well, is there anything in there? Do we have enough money for this? That's not a plan. That is a payday, should we go spend the, the paycheck type of mentality. Right, that's true. The connected one here is, do I stick to a plan? This is where I would say there's probably two different people. If you're married and listening to this, there's probably two people in your marriage that think about budgets and all this stuff differently. And you'll find out real quick who's who when you start talking about, well, I want to do this with our money. Well, that's not in the budget. And so I I think that sticking to the plan becomes really what tells you, and Steve, that's what allows you to look at the car sales guy who just ran your credit and he goes, you make so much money, you could afford this easy. And you go, I can't afford it because I have not chosen to put that portion of my money there. That's right. And, And you become kind of impervious to a lot of the world's temptations that they think they can get you with if you yeah. go, we've decided this. And, and you know, I'm picking on cars and housing and stuff because it's such a big chunk of most people's sure. budgets, but food is another one. Like, we like to eat really healthy food. We Last night, we had a big piece of salmon. It wasn't cheap. We're kind of stocking up on our omega-3s before low-dose starts because we are still recording this in January. But I, I would say if we get to the end of the month and I start noticing there's $100 left in our grocery budget and there's six days left in the month, we just talk about that and go, that means we are going to spend $100 on food for the rest of the month. We aren't going to go, ah, oh, dang it. We went over by 300 bucks. Best to try mm-hmm. again next month. Just start doing that. (laughs) like Discipline yourself to, even if you can afford it, to go over. That's part of why we think Lodofeb is such a valuable exercise. Right. Even if you, like, I let's say you keep a budget based on $10,000 a month of income, and you really know most months we we make $12,000. So we can just cover up all those overflows. Start as a discipline, sticking to the plan that you made. And if you notice, we just can't well, then it's time to have a conversation. Have we under-budgeted and actually we can both afford to and wish to spend money differently? But if it's, we just don't have the discipline, we'll fix that. You know, 
take you back to the steps. Repent and then implement some some safeguards so that you can have discipline in that area going forward. Excellent. And then the last one we talked about is kind of being unwilling to endure difficulty or pain today for long-term benefit or like foregoing pleasure today for the benefits that are out in the future. And we talked about this. Do you use money to medicate pain? I, I know a lot of people who when they get down, they just think, I got to go buy something. That'll yeah. make me feel better. Am I willing to put my nose to the grindstone and struggle through something for long-term benefit? Like I talk to dads sometimes who are like, you know, I just, I, I'm 31 years old, young family, and had the opportunity to take a job that would just really change our financial situation. But I, I want to be home by 4.30 every day and spend time with my kids. There are times when that's a good choice. And there are times when that's foolishness. And you mm-hmm. actually need to be able to put your nose to the grindstone and say, for this, for this time, I need to work my tail off. And there's some wisdom in when to go A versus B. But for the most part, in general, when you're a young man, our friend Mark Douglas talks a lot about a truck drives straighter when there's a load in the back. You're designed to have a pretty significant load on your shoulders. You're designed to actually be looking out towards the future and going, what a huge task I have in front of me. That helps you to stay on course and drive straighter when you're operating the way that the Lord made you to operate. So I see this in kind of our community of multi-generationally minded fathers more than than in other places where guys are like, I want to basically experience the benefits and the good feelings that I would expect to have when I'm a grandfather who has worked hard for his whole life. Right. And I get to spend my time. I just want to spend my time doing ministry and I want to spend my time with my kids and well, that's all good. Those goals are good, but you don't get to have them when you're 28. You got to work your butt off for a few decades and then you get to be the grandfather and you get to uh, experience all that. So that's just, am I willing to endure the near-term difficulties and struggle and pain for the long-term vision and benefit? And that's an important question I think that everybody be asking themselves. That's a great point. I going back to the thing you said earlier, which is do you expect that if you're going to be a disciple, that you're going to grow into maturity in all ways, in in all five capitals, you grow into maturity spiritually, relationally, physically, intellectually, and financially. If you're going to grow into maturity and grow up, you know, be Christ-like, be a full, fully realized son of God. We have this kind of uh, simpleton idea that there might be some stresses on me to grow up as a disciple. There might be challenges to my faith. Maybe I'd have to get my head around a new doctrine that I didn't really understand or whatever and deal with, I don't know, the culture, what the, a lie, a culture. But we don't m- imagine that there would be challenges in these other areas that your relational challenges that you're in the middle of right now, which can be chewy, they can be trying, they can cause you, you know, sleepless nights to realize that's part of my discipleship too. I got to grow up relationally. I got to grow up intellectually. I'm always challenged and uh, delighted by the books episode that you do with Jeff, because there's so many great ideas that are thrown down. And you, and you, one of the things I come away with from hearing that is, 
the world is such a cornucopia of ideas. There's just so much that you could investigate and learn about. There's so much that's interesting about the world. And we, we need that. We need this intellectual. We need to be stretched and tried intellectually, physically. What can he be working on physically? That kind of speaks for itself. And then financially, there are going to be financial stresses in your life. This is part of discipleship. And it could be the simple, enduring uh, pressure of trying of staying inside a budget, staying inside what, what we can afford. It might be there's a medical emergency and we had put this money uh, toward replacing the washing machine next year, but we're out of money and there's an emergency. And we're, now we're in a moment of financial crisis. And, and it's so easy to think, well, this is the devil doing this. And maybe it is. We, we really don't know where trouble comes from most of the time. But I can guarantee you, Hebrews 12 says that you can endure any hardship as if it's discipline from God himself. So he's trying to grow me up financially. So I must be in a trial season right now, which is part of my discipleship. I just think the point you make there is so important and going, this is part of me growing up. Just in close, do you have something final to say or can I close with, I got a verse. Why don't you take us home? Okay. Proverbs 10, 4 says, lazy hands make for poverty. That, right, you you already told us that. Lazy hands make for poverty. And the second part of the verse is, but diligent hands bring wealth. So God's intention is if you find yourself in a, in a culture of poverty, maybe that came from your family, maybe it's everybody you work with has this attitude toward poverty. When you were describing the construction worker, my mind went to Ben Affleck and Matt Damon in um, Goodwill Hunting. They're construction guys. They spend all their money at the end of the day. At the end of the week, they've paid their rent, but they don't have anything left at the end. And you, you're on that treadmill. Whatever situation you're in, I guarantee you that God's will for you is that you not stay in a place of poverty I don't care if it's a if it's a minuscule part that just kind of trips you up. We're doing fine financially, but still there's this thing where I want to avoid pain or I just find myself in giving into laziness or impulses, et cetera, all the things that you've mentioned. God wants you to end up in wealth. He wants you to end up in fullness and in prosperity. Diligent hands bring wealth. So may it be that like by these stones of help that we're trying to put in front of you, they give you something to hold on to and they could go give you an idea as we talked about at the beginning, something to watch out for. I don't want these things to get into my family. I don't want this to be our pattern that we kind of have a great idea. That sounds fun. Well, maybe we can move some money around that we had put, we thought that would be for the kids' education, but wouldn't this be fun to go on a trip to Europe? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Lazy hands make for poverty but diligent hands bring wealth. So I bless all of you that we would increase that diligence, that we walk away from every place that poverty exists in us, and we walk toward the wealth that God wills for each of our families. Hey, if you liked this content, be sure to like it and subscribe and share it with somebody. And remember, no matter how you're doing and leading your family, God's love for you is huge and his grace is grand, grand, grand.